uh, I think is probably the best place we'll start. Well, we'll go to verse, verse 20. Go to verse 20, and I think we'll start there. But in verse 20, in Romans chapter 2, verse 20, it says, uh, An instructor of foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Now, if you were here last week, he, what is to it? He's kind of a, Paul is, is really just, he's, he's slapping them. Uh, he's saying to him, not verse 19, that you are confident that thou thyself are a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish. And we understood last week, we talked about the word foolish there, is really the connotation of stupid. And he's saying, this is the way you feel about everybody else. Everybody else is stupid. You got to teach everybody else. You got to make sure that you depart your great wisdom to everybody else. He's being pretty, pretty rough on them, honestly, uh, during, this, during this passage here. And he says, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. And you notice that the, has the form of knowledge. And we've got, we, really, we've got a society that has a form of knowledge. We've got Christianity today has a form of knowledge. And somehow they, they don't understand it, that everything that's being said here really applies to us today because we can get caught up just like the Jews thinking that because we know how to do this or because we know all the books of the Bible or because we know everybody in the Bible because we know everything the preacher's going to preach before he starts preaching it uh, because we got it all together that somehow we are superior to other people uh, spiritually but that does not make you superior and, and the truth is knowledge alone is not, it really doesn't benefit anybody. Intellectualism will destroy you. Knowledge really makes it hard. I was uh, preaching last night. I think it was last, yes, last night in, uh, in Tupelo. In, uh, did last two nights in Tupelo for a, a little mini uh, revival down there. And, and the, uh, uh, they told me before, there was a boy, a big tall boy, that when he, when he came in, they said, you know, he's come several times and, and they witnessed to him several times. But he's, he's very intellectual. And he just keeps saying, I just can't see it. I just, what he's saying is, my mind doesn't agree with it, so it has to be wrong. Because my mind has to be right. And that's kind of the way the, the Jews had gotten to the point. They had this knowledge, and that made them superior. But truth is what transformed, not, not just knowledge, not just information, truth. So you, you, um, you begin, we're going to begin here tonight. On, I think the final phrase is trying to, to wake the Jews up to remember that he was given truth, and with truth comes great responsibility. He was not just the possessor of intelligence and information, but truth. And that's what Paul said, listen, you were given the truth. Now you've gone to seed on just being intelligent. You've gone to seed on just having knowledge. You've gone to seed on just being superior to everybody else. Listen, it's wonderful. We need to learn everything we can. But when it's just information and that makes us superior to somebody than, than truth, then we've got a problem. No, if, if it's going to help somebody, then it's good to know. It's like, like this, the best statement I can make. There's a lot of people know a lot of Bible, but don't live very much of it. Now, I always heard this. It's not how much Bible you know, it's how much Bible you live. Now, the truth is, you can't live any of it until you learn it. And you can't live more of it until you learn more of it. You understand? So I'm not saying don't learn it, but you got to, when you learn it, you're supposed to live it. Amen? So, now, he was not just a possessor of intelligence and information, but truth. Truth will make you free. 
The Jew was supposed to be using the truth to transform others rather than using information to prove his superiority. And that's what happens. Uh, you know, the, the preacher that I was under Brother house, he, he would push us all the time. You're, you're supposed to, in teaching, he would tell us, you're supposed to be transform, transferring truth, not displaying knowledge. You know, that's a great statement. You're trying to get truth to somebody, not just let them know how much you know. Now, I'll be honest with you, at Memphis State, they were all trying to prove how much they knew and how stupid we were. They really didn't care how much truth I got. They just wanted the whole time for me to bow down to them that they were so incredibly intelligent and we were so stupid. Now, that should not be in the church. So, verse 21 says, Thou therefore that which teacheth another, teachest thou not thyself? He's saying, look, you teach everybody else, but are you living it yourself? Have you grasped it yourself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? And he's just saying, look, you are, you're teaching everybody, preaching everybody. You're, you're trying to get everybody else to know how wonderful you are outwardly. He said, you better start listening to what you're saying. I'll be honest with you, folks. I have many, many times, and I, and I ask God to do this, but, but I, I've got to keep going down to my knees at an altar just like you. And when I preach, God gives me a truth to preach. And when I preach that truth, I just want you to understand, the first person it hits is me. So many times, I, as I'm preparing it, I'm thinking, uh, this is going to be hard to preach. Because I'm, I'm working on this, Lord. But I still, it's the truth, and the truth must Come and I must let it hit me. This is what I used to tell young preacher boys. They would come to me and man, they'd be so nervous. So nervous to get up and, and preach in front of somebody. And I'd say, look, if you're nervous, that means that you're thinking about you instead of about the truth that you're about to preach. Now, if you get consumed with the truth that you're about to preach, you won't be so nervous because you'll forget that you're there. And so I said, what you need to do is go grab hold of a truth and you devour it and you consume it and you get so full of it, it's got to go somewhere. Hello? And that's why I keep you late some nights. I know you're thinking some nights. Uh, that's why I keep you late sometimes because the truth, if, if it's grabbed hold to me, sometimes I get so frustrated with myself because I'm excited about it. You know what I mean, Brother Jared? I'm excited about it. I know what God's done. I know what's happened. I know what I learned. I know, wow, this is incredible. But I can't get it to you that it is because you look at me this way. <laughs> so that's what God's trying to get through. Is he's saying, make sure you get it first. Make sure that you... 
And look, every teacher in here, if you're teaching somebody, everybody that's working with somebody in our junior church or, or, or teaching any the teenagers or, or the primary church, anywhere, we, it's not just a lesson of information that we're trying to display to them. It's got to be something that we said, I believe this, I'm eating up with this, and I can't wait to teach this. Ladies, I think most of you, I believe anyway, no, you don't have to say if you don't, but I think most of you like coming to my wife's Bible studies. I mean, more than you like coming to church. But I think most of you like that. Can I tell you, I watched the woman. She studies and studies and studies and studies, and after she's done all that, then she asks me what to teach. No, she doesn't. She studies and studies and studies, and she gets all consumed with this, and she can talk for hours. I promise you. She can talk for hours about this truth because it's all over her. It's got to go someplace. So thank you, ladies. (laughs) Thank you so much because I get to go fishing while she's unloading the truck. Amen. God bless you. All right. Will somebody fix me dinner tonight? Because <laughs> I'm going to lose out here. Now, through these preceding verses, we see Paul uh, now has begun to preach and try to get the prideful to realize they are no better than the others they condemn. And so he's trying to get them that, that, that you've got to understand. Paul's saying, look, you've got to get this yourself. Stop living this little facade. Let it be something real inside of you. Let it come inside of you. Let it be real. It's not stop doing it because it's not real. No, he said, let it become real. I hear people all the time, well, I'm just not going to do that because I don't want to be a hypocrite. No, let me tell you, you're going to be a hypocrite either way. But the, uh, the fact is, is that it's ready... Uh, I gotta be able to figure out some way to say this. There's got to be some way instead of saying, "Well, I, 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 I'm not gonna do that because I, I'm not. I don't really uh, believe it, uh, so I'm gonna quit doing it." It may be something godly and something holy God wants you to do, and you say, well, "I'm not gonna be just doing it for show." Well, listen, wouldn't it be better to instead of stop doing it because it's hypocritical? Wouldn't it be better to start believing it? So, this is a lesson, and I I keep getting, I got to teach point by point. Stay calm, right? Y'all want me to stay calm? It doesn't make any difference whether you do or not, because it ain't going to happen. So, now, much like this, 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 situation where he's saying here, you're saying thou that maketh boast of thy law through the breaking of the law dishonors thou God. It's like Jesus when he said, John chapter 8 verse 7, he said, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Jesus looked at the people and said, oh man, you're, you're condemning everybody else. Because, uh, you, you, this poor lady, man, she's messed up bad and, and boy, we, got, we better get on to her and, and Jesus looked at him and said, really? Have you looked at yourself? And that's what he's trying to get us to do. He's trying to let, us, let truth sink into us first before we condemn somebody else. We who have, have to stand and preach against sin must first apply the truth to our own lives. Now, I know 
You say, well, I'm not a preacher, but the truth is, I believe it, it, we all, in some sense, our lives are preaching to somebody somewhere all the time. And it's vital, if we really want our lives to preach to somebody, that we are what we say we are. And I understand, none of us are perfectly what we want to be, but we ought to be really sincerely trying to be. We ought to sincerely say, you know what, I may be struggling with it, but I believe it's true. I might be battling with it, but I know it's the right thing to do. And the more people see that, that we influence, the more they will respect us. People really aren't looking. Now, I know the world's out there. There there's some that are just looking for a Christian to stumble. But I'm telling you, there's a lot more world out there. They're not looking for you to be perfect. They're looking for you to be real and truly believing what you say you believe. Now... Verse 24, look at verse 24, it says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Now, for, well, I'll go ahead and read it. For circumcision, circumcision verily, verily profiteth if, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the, circum, the uncircumcision keep the law, uh, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, and in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Paul is making it clear, God's making it clear through Paul, uh, to the Jews that simply keeping the law does not make them spiritual. It's what's in their heart. And, and, and I know you're saying, Brother Hooker, you're saying this over and over. Well, I am because God did. And so I'm, I'm trying to go through this, this passage, but uh, he wants to know what's truly in their heart. If they keep the law, if they are circumcised, which was a part, a vital part of the law at that time, and yet live in sin, then they actually, watch this now, if you keep the law, and yet live in sin, then they actually blaspheme the name of God. You say, now how can you keep the law and live in sin? They could be circumcised, which was a vital part of their, their religion, and yet live in sin. They could come to church and live in sin. They could, they could uh, uh, memorize great volumes of the Bible because they grew up memorizing uh, the, the Pentateuch. They grew up memorizing the Bible. So uh, they could memorize a lot of the Word of God. They could, they could uh, impress people with great long prayers and live in sin. That should speak to our hearts. Because he says when you do that, you blaspheme the name of God. But watch this. This is something else I believe really it means. If they keep the law, and if they're circumcised, and this is what the passage is talking about, yet live in sin, they blaspheme the name of God. But also the judgment that their sin brought upon them makes the heathen think that their God could not protect them. He was a weak God or no God at all. You see, I really think that's primarily what, what Paul is saying and God's saying through Paul is that, that you, go, you come up here and you, you live this facade. You live this superficial Christianity. 
you dress the dress and you have your hair and you do all the things that you're supposed to do in public and in front of everybody. But inwardly, you're living in sin. What that's going to bring eventually, because God loves you, is going to bring judgment. Because it goes back to another passage that we talked about. God's going to discipline his children. And if he does not discipline his children, then you're not his children. Because, and that's one of the reasons we still should discipline our children. Because God says, if you're my child, I will. And if I don't, you're not my child. And so if we live that way, then judgment comes upon us. Discipline comes upon us. And, you know, we go and we're, we're here, we're the Christians, and, but yet, man, we are suffering greatly. Look, what do you think the people of the world during World War II and the Holocaust thought of the God of the Jews? He's a pretty weak God. They're talking about they're the God's chosen people and they're getting butchered. Well, the world's saying, apparently you're not trusting God because he can't take care of you. He can't protect you. He's letting you starve to death. He's letting you die by the millions. He's letting you be butchered. What kind of God is that? And I believe when we live that way and bring judgment upon us, the world looks at us in such a way that it takes away who God it really is. We speak to them in, in our lives and the judgment of God on our lives says to them that God's not real, God's not strong, God's not capable. So we, in fact, blaspheme the name of God. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. So... As you go through these verses for us today, and this is something to be sort of unique to do, but as you go through these verses for us today, could we not put in the place of circumcision, baptism, church membership, church attendance? I mean, if you think about it, for he is not a Christian, which is one outwardly, neither he, he uh, neither is that baptism which is outward in the flesh but he is a Christian which is one inwardly and baptism is that of the heart and in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God you could substitute church membership in there that whole passage for, for baptism pro, verily profiteth if thou keep the law but if thou be a break of the law the, the baptism is made unbaptism now, what, it, what it's saying is, and I, want, I don't want you to misunderstand this. What people say then, well, well why do we get baptized then? And, uh, we, this is very important. God is not saying not to keep the law, and I'm not saying that we should not be baptized or become a church member. Simply saying that you should do these things inwardly as well as outwardly, therefore living according to the truth and the righteousness. Coming to church, getting baptized, being a member, keeping all the standards are all good. They really are. They're good. They're things that God wants us to do. But they must also, we must, when we do these things, God really wants, he's saying, now do them because something's happening in your heart. Something's, it's, it's like this. 
And then maybe it's maybe the best illustration I give, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll start to wind this down. But when I was in the sailor ministry, and uh, your dad would probably remember this, I, <clears throat> I took over the sailor ministry before, right before I did. I was in about five months uh, before, and, and I'll be honest with you, the, the method, to, to, it was very important. That, you know, we want a lot of guys to the Christ, and, but we, we were not allowed to tell them about about baptism, and baptism is the next step of obedience after getting saved. And I believe you should tell people that, that that's what the Word of God says, and show them in the Word of God that, that this is what God says to do. Now, it does not help you go to heaven because you're already on your way to heaven, and you already have eternal life, so what is it? You know, we know it's the, it's the wedding ring. Uh, I'm, guess what? I'm still married. I don't have it on, but I'm still married. Putting it on doesn't make me married. Putting it on shows you that I am. And it tells all the women, back off. That's why I have to walk around. Ah. So, now, but I went. So I went, uh, but, but what was happening is they were going and they were, uh, we would get to church and we weren't allowed to say anything about baptism until we got to church. And not even then, you couldn't say anything until the invitation was given. And then right there at the invitation, we would say, hey, you need to go up front and let everybody know that you've been saved. And when you got up front, then the man up front was going to look at him and say, now that you're saved, first thing you need to do is to be baptized. You need to go through that door. Well, let me help you. They got a lot of people baptized that way. Here's the problem. A lot of them really didn't want to. They were just standing in front of thousands of people with all these eyes on their back and they were being told, go through this door. Nobody told them that somebody was going to take their clothes over there, but they're going to, and so they did it. And can I tell you, many of them walked out of there after getting baptized angry. And when I took over that ministry, the very first weekend that I took it over, I'd made Decision God had pressed upon my heart. I got up, I preached to the men. That, that weekend, it was a Labor Day weekend, we had 11 first-time sailors, and it was a miracle. We had 11 first-time sailors, 11 of them trusted Christ. It was incredible. But at the, at, when they all stood up there at the evening, there after playing football and everything, and they all stood there, and they had all been saved, and I just looked at them, and I did something that had never been done in our chapel service. I looked at them, I said, fellas, in about 12, 14 hours, you're going to be given a chance to take your first step of obedience to Christ. And I explained to him everything I just did. I explained to him about the wedding ring. I explained to him about the, when somebody told me that the next thing you're supposed to do for Christ is to be baptized. And, and how I just looked and said, is that what God wants me to do or is that what you want me to do? And the, and the preacher that day said, son, that's exactly what God wants you to do. And I said, good, because I don't care what you want me to do. I want to do what God wants me to do. And I went and got baptized. And I would tell him that story, how I chose to do it. And I would tell them that it's an act of obedience. It's not an act of coercion. It's not an act of trickery. It's an act of obedience. And so I would tell them everything about it. And I would say, fellas, it's your decision. Tomorrow morning when it's time, if you want to walk forward and make it public and tell people you've been saved, I think that's wonderful. If you also want to go get baptized, you just tell the man when you go up there before he even says anything to you, sir, I've been saved. I need to be baptized. I said, now, if you choose not to, I love you. You understand? I love you. But I want you to understand that Jesus died on a cross for you, shed his blood, 
for you, was buried and rose from the grave for you, and he asked to show his love for you. And he asked you to show your love for him. Make it real simple by getting in some water. That's the first step. He says, will you show everybody what happened to you? Well, I got through preaching that night, and I'll be honest with you, I got bombarded by workers. Maybe your dad was one of them. But I got bombarded by workers that told me, are you crazy? They'll never go down the aisle now. You, can, you can't tell them about baptism before they go down the aisle. Are you crazy? Uh, you know, man, you just messed it all up. Man, we'll never get these guys down the aisle because it was so important to them. To get, and it is. It's an important thing that anybody that's saved takes that next step of obedience. Because if you won't take that next step of obedience, you stunted your growth. You're not growing. You got to take the step. And so, I, but I felt like the step, if it's a forced step, if I'm pushing him, is not really a step. So I warned him to make his own decision. And can I tell you, that's, I feel like that's what Paul is trying to say. This has got to be from your heart. And you got to understand, the next morning we had the service. Eleven men walked down the aisle at the end of the service. Eleven men looked at the man who was there about to talk to them and said, Sir, I need to be baptized. I got saved last night. I need to be baptized. Eleven men got baptized. And from that time on, for the next 19 years, that's the way it was handled. And watch this, folks. This is the most amazing thing in the world. 89.6% of all the men who got saved got baptized. And people would come to me and say, how? What do you tell them? What do you do? How do you do this? What's your method? And I would look at them and say, I tell them the truth. What a concept. Now, so for every inward action, there should be a visible outward reaction. No outward ceremonial act can have any value if it's not related in some way to a personal, scriptural, spiritual experience. If a person who has never known or, uh, or received an outward ceremonial confirmation of his faith, but his heart is right, I mean, I'm saying, there's, I didn't know about baptism. I gave up my music before I got baptized. I changed my life before I got baptized in many ways. But if he's never been, this outward ceremonial confirmation of his faith has not come, he's not done that because he doesn't know about that. His heart is right with God, though. He's really enjoying all for which the ritual stands. I believe that God's still blessing him as though he was baptized, even though he wasn't. Now, when he knows, that's a different story. Now, this is described, I believe, in verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? It shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. This is not to say that baptism, Lord's Supper, church membership are, not, are without value, but its value is dependent upon the person's heart. Folks, I'm just trying to say, Paul's trying to say, it's time that we get real. Now, why is he going through all of this? Why is Paul going through all of this in chapter 2? And I'm having to cut out some now because i got to get to chapter 3 eventually. But I, I, why is he going through all this? Well, because in chapter 3, he's going to address the fact that all men are sinners. And here's the problem. 
Religious people don't want to admit they're sinners. And so he's trying to nail them about their religious phylacteries, about their religious uh, hypocrisy, about their religious Phariseeism. He's trying to nail them and say, look at me, people, because I'm about to tell you how to be saved. And watch this. You can't be saved unless you're lost. And you can't be lost until you realize you're a sinner. So stop acting like you're so perfect. So he was just like, bam, 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 with these guys trying to get them ready for what he was about to tell them. Because now, next chapter, he's going to tell them, you're sinners. And you ever gone to a door here in the South, and your biggest problem is trying to get them lost? Because, look, they were born in the church. They're a member of the church. They got baptized in the church. Granddaddy's buried at the church. They don't need what you're telling them. Now, they may have already been also been saved at the church, but many of them were not. They have all these things that they say, this makes me good. I'm okay. And so what we have to do is we're not going to help them realize their sin until we look at people and say, look, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And folks, it starts with me. It's not your sinner. All have sinned. Well, I, t- I, did, I did longer than I wanted to, and I apologize again. I'm always going long. I didn't finish. I cut out stuff. Don't be mad at me. God bless you. Now, we're going to... Uh, Right now, if we could just maybe four or five minutes...